Welcome. This is Friday, Friday morning here in Columbus, Ohio. It is a gray sky, um, and which is pretty typical of this time of year here. Um, I have in the studio for Professor Latinx podcast, I have Jose Alaniz, who, uh, who's visiting. He gave a, a keynote yesterday. And gosh, I have so many questions for you about your life comics. We were just talking about the valley and how it's sort of you and Al. Um, uh, Rodriguez um, and others have kind of come from that space to, you know, bring something new to the world um, in your creations and your intellectual work. But yeah, welcome, Jose. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Um, so, you know, 2003, you got your PhD in comparative literature. Um, and then you, as far as I can tell, went on to do this really incredible sort of work on excavating the untold histories and stories of Russian comics post, right, and pre-Soviet. Um, you're a, you're a Tejano from the Valley. Like how, what, this is like not the normal narrative, right? You're supposed to be like, you know, I don't know, <laughs> according to the Academy, uh, you know, track to be like doing like Chicano Latinx stuff. And here you're doing this crazy Russian stuff. How did that happen? I don't know. I, I I'd like to think that, that that there's no possibility that there's there's no possibilities foreclosed for yes. for anyone. And um, uh, if you want to know kind of how I got into it, uh, it was really partly the impulsive um, act uh, late in high school of enrolling in the army. I really just did it on a whim, and it kind of blindsided everybody. Um, and I, I enlisted, and then they, you know, I did basic training. Had no idea. And then by the time it, 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 it came to actually picking uh, an actual like, skill to be trained in, um, by then I had moved to Austin for, to go to school at UT. And uh, I changed uh, battalions wherever you're, you're living in the, in the Army Reserves. That's where you're kind of uh, attached to that unit there. And that particular unit was a military intelligence unit and the 549th MI Battalion in Austin. And uh, they determined that I had the aptitude to learn a language so they sent me to DLI in, in Monterey, the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. And um, this was still during Perestroika, so I really didn't know much about Russia at the time besides Chernobyl. Uh, I was really just kind of a dumb kid, and, uh, and then that basically changed my life. Um, I learned Russian there, and then uh, fortunately I never had to go to war, um, but the Army gave me that really crucial skill. And then from there, everything everything just kind of... Um, followed that, right? It was the, because I had that. I majored in Russian and film studies at UT. And then uh, it became very logical back in the old slacker uh, early 90s to say, well, you know, why not just go and wash dishes? If I'm going to wash dishes somewhere, let me wash dishes in Moscow. So that's where I did. I lived in Russia as a journalist. Um, that was the job that was actually, you know, very available at that time. And my background was in journalism, just like Al Rodriguez. We both worked for our college papers, and um, everything kind of came from there. Wow, extraordinary! And I'm then so grad glad. school, and then and then I got hired <laughs> to, yeah. at uh, University of Washington. Very very luckily, it's all just been great people uh, helping me, great teachers, and lucky breaks, really. And here, you, yesterday, your your keynote was actually based on a lot of this work, right? Oh yeah, well about about the Russian comics. I mean, I, I um, again, I mean, I'm I'm. Um, Probably just because of the fact that I happen to have the skill of the Russian language and I'm a lifelong reader of comics, um, I was living in Moscow in, in the early 90s and just kind of looking around and seeing that, hey, you know, 
the Russians have adopted all sorts of Western popular culture, you know, you know video games and skateboarding and, and fashion and movies, but not comics. I didn't really see many comics. They were very, very small examples. There was a lot of translated stuff from the West, but nothing that was really, you know, a, 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 um, any kind of comic scene in, in the Western sense. So that's kind of where those questions started. And so my first book, Comics, Comic Art in Russia, which came out in 2010 from University of Mississippi Press, um, is really kind of an attempt to answer that question, why the Russians were not you know, embracing comics the way they were embracing other kinds of popular culture. So was it uh, like in Czechoslovakia, was it just pushed on really hard, deep underground, or and you kind of found that mm. burrowing in when you went back to the archives there? Or how, <laughs> you know, where was it? Because it, obviously it, there was something happening there, yeah. In, in the 90s, there, was, there, there were a few things that it was a very, very difficult time because the... the um, the Russian economy was in a tailspin, and uh, there was a lot of, of struggle that these publishers, the, the few that there were, um, were were uh, were struggling a lot. And it was um, most of these uh, publishers would fold actually within within a few issues of whatever they were publishing. Um, so there was that economic kind of factor, but it was also, I think, cultural. It was also um, not only the legacy of, of Soviet. Um, um, uh, charades and policies really against comics in the in the Western sense. They saw it as an American art form. There had also been uh, Soviet campaigns against rock and roll and against jazz and things like that earlier. But um, but comics really um, were uh, the focus, especially because they were considered to be actually uh, deleterious to uh, to reading and to children. Um, but really, um, th- this reminds me of a famous anecdote that uh, from Tolstoy is somebody asked Tolstoy what, what he was trying to say with War and Peace. And he said, you know, um, what I was trying to say in War and Peace, like you'd have to read War and Peace. Uh, so really, um, that, that's kind of what th- the whole book is really trying to explain that from the literary and soci- so- sociocultural um, um, perspectives of, of why Russians resist comics. Jose, you, you mention or you do, uh, you kind of bring to the four creators like Lena Gushinova um, and others, are there some names that we can mention here that might be readily available to a U.S. sort of comics reading public? That's, uh, that's always the big problem, is um, uh, Martha Kuhlman and I, who is a professor at Bryant University, we are co-editing a volume called Comics of the New Europe. Uh, and new, you know, should be in quotation marks because uh, we were trying to find a term that would capture the um, the countries of the who part of the former uh, Soviet bloc and that were also part of the so- former Soviet Union and that were also maybe states like Yugoslavia, the Baltic states, and East Germany. So that that's a really wide kind of area, and there's no real term that completely covers it because uh, we were we were we, we want to bring attention to the comics cultures of these various countries, which are fascinating. The problem, however, in, in general, really, that we've always encountered is that we can write about these things and and spread the word, but without translations, there's really not that kind of access. So um, we highly encourage publishers and even academic presses or other kinds of, of, um, of institutions to, to support the, um, the translations of these kinds of works. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's still not enough of that. Um, mm-hmm. So with Liana Ujinova, uh, no, there is uh, nothing that I'm aware of that has really penetrated. Um, I've been trying to put together uh, some translations myself while on sabbatical. Uh, as always, it's a matter of, um, of inter- interesting a publisher. But yes, I would say people like Lena Ujinova, uh, who does some fantastic work. She has, she has a great graphic memoir called My Sex, 
came out in 2013, which is really about her sexual coming of age during the Soviet era. And this is a time when it was even really difficult for women to get things like tampons or other kinds of hygiene products, a lot of taboos around sex uh, in a really strange way. There's a brand new, uh, a relatively brand new um, uh, comics biography called uh, Survilo, which is by Olga Lavrentova, who is from St. Petersburg. Um, and Survilo is a fascinating, really, I'm, I'm calling it the, the Russian mouse in many ways, because it is a uh, really harrowing um, uh, depiction of the life of the grandmother of Olga Lavrentova. Uh, and this grandmother, she... Um, Went through a lot. Um, in 1937, her father, who was of Polish origin, that's what the name Survilo means, it's, he's from Poland, um, he was arrested during the Stalinist purges. He disappeared, never never seen again. He was, he was executed um, for supposedly spying for, the, for Poland. Um, and then, so her family was exiled. When that happened, you, you, you basically become a non-person. You're the, you're the family of, a, of an enemy of the people. They were exiled from, from Leningrad. Um, the children were allowed to come back to Leningrad in time to go to school, but then that was in the early uh, 40s, and that was right uh, when the the, uh, the Nazis invaded Russia, lay siege to Leningrad, and starved its people. And so there were over a million who, who died of starvation. So they were they were there. They, they got back for that. And so the graphic uh, biography is kind of all about that. It's really quite extraordinary. It's really quite a breakthrough work, I really think, mm. because like Mouse, it kind of authorizes through its exploration of, of a very kind of sacred memory, just like the Holocaust is um, for, for people, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the West and, and elsewhere. Um, the, the, the siege of Leningrad is kind of a sacred kind of memory of, of, of victimization, of sacrifice for the war. And, um, and to see it kind of portrayed in comics really represents that, that comics really have, the comics culture is really developing. Things really have changed in the culture. You could not have had a Servilo back in, in 1993, uh, and the fact that we have it now means mm. that people are kind of ready for it. And we need it here. We need people to be able to, you know, be um, yeah. have access to it, right? Who might not? Well, I'm trying know, to translate yeah, it, yeah. but it's always a matter of uh, uh, of, of people, yeah. you know, wanting to publish yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this piece, again, because of its kind of importance as a breakthrough work, and, and I think it's also, um, it's the kind of thing that we're kind of familiar with. We've seen these kinds of narratives, mm-hmm. I think, before in the West, just as we've seen things like My Sex. I mean, what, what Ujinova is doing in that memoir is not that different from something like Aline Kaminsky-Kram or, or, or this stuff like that, or, or Phoebe Gleckner, really, because some of it deals with sexual abuse. But um, mm-hmm. the, the, the really big difference, of course, is that it, it's, it's in Russia. It's in, it's in Soviet times. Mm-hmm. And it's really, um, uh, really kind of amazing for that. So, bo- so both of these works, in that respect, I think have a better chance. In 2015, through. you published Death, Disability, and Superheroes. 2014. 2014. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so disability now is on the kind of, on your, you know, or um, has it always been? Or, you know, tell me that move. And Matt Murdock, right, Daredevil, we have a whole other, you know, the super crip. We have the thing, you know, as we're getting a whole new sense of how comics, superhero comics shape built spaces in around normative bodies, you know, able bodies, right, et cetera. Tell me, like, how we go from Russian comics to this space. I'm all over the map, uh, Frederick. (laughs) Uh, I pretty much, I mean, I I guess I just have a lot of different um, interests. I mean, that's probably why I went into, into comparative literature, which allowed me to kind of, you know, roam around in that way. Um. 
I got into disability studies fairly late in graduate school, and I, I, my dissertation was on death and dying in late and post-Soviet Russian culture. So I really kind of got into disability from, from that era because kind of dealing with bodies um, that are dying, um, you know, you're going to be dealing with, with things like illness and, and, and debility and, and, uh, and all sorts of things like that. And um, so uh, Berkeley is also um, a really fa- uh, a fabulous uh, institution for, for studying uh, disability. So I, I benefited from, from the faculty there and the resources there. But I never wrote about it in my dissertation. And of course, um, the first few years that I was, I was working at the University of Washington, um, I was trying to get tenure, and I, and I was really focused on writing this book on Russian comics, so that was uh, what I was doing. But I was also, anybody who knows me from that time also knows that I was also presenting at conferences like ICAF and at um, the, uh, the Popular Culture Association conferences. I was here and there giving little talks about disability in the superhero genre because that was really, again, something that I felt just like with, with, the, with looking around in Russia in the, in the 90s and seeing that, you know, comics are not really taking off the way that other media are. I also saw that really there wasn't much of a conversation about disability in the genre, even though, I mean, from my perspective, as somebody who grew up reading Marvel comics from even before he could read, right? I mean, I think my mother started buying me uh, the comics um, as far as I can tell, around 1972 or three, um, and and uh, this, and you know they kind of helped me even to learn English. Um, I'd been reading them that long, and so I mean I guess I I, I saw that I mean there was disability. I mean there's as as you know, for example the uh, the recurring theme of Ben Grimm, the thing you know always feeling bitterness about his monstrous body and insecurities about whether Alicia loves him and insecurities about about his place in the team and how he would really kind of routinely this repeats really um, quite a lot during the uh, the Lee Kirby run um, he often breaks up the team he becomes a villain so this idea of him as a kind of a borderline figure had everything to do with um, the trauma of the transformation and his uh, his 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 sensing of, of himself as a kind of uh, a tragic figure. Scott Bukatman and I, um, Scott Bukatman at Stanford, who's a, a brilliant comic scholar, uh, I remember a wonderful dinner we had in New York uh, one time, kind of ba- batting back and forth this question, is Ben Grimm a happy person? Because, of course, Ben Grimm was also the, the comic relief, right, in, in that series, uh, in, in the, especially the Lee Kirby run. So he, he, there was often a kind of jolly aspect to him. Uh, Yancey Street Gang and all that good stuff, and Aunt Petunia, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, so there was this way in which, in which Grimm was both a tragic figure and a kind of buffoon, and I found that kind of fascinating, the way that he was negotiating that identity. So, I, I you know, obviously at five years old, I wasn't really kind of thinking about it in these terms, but by the time I, you know, was old enough, I and to use the conceptual tools that I, that I got through disability studies, I thought, well, it seems to be that disability is sort of central to the genre. Mm-hmm. Ben Grimm is a, is a fantastic example of it, but Matt Murdock is the other obvious uh, one. Um, anyway, so again, I think you can read my book and see kind of the various ways that this, this theme gets elaborated. Mm-hmm. Let me just put in a quick word for Doom Patrol. I really think Doom Patrol was a, a central um, text. Uh, very early on, you know, in uh, 64, um, where they are um, uh, really kind of getting into these questions really in a fascinating way. And it kind of makes sense that Grant Morrison in the 80s would later on kind of pick up these strands and do some amazing stuff. Let me put in a plug, by the way, because I have just had a new book published uh, called Uncanny Bodies, mm. Superhero Comics yeah, and Disability. I was going to ask about that, yeah. Which I uh, co-edited with Scott Smith, mm-hmm. who's at uh, 
Penn State University, and it's um, kind of a continuation of some of those themes. The, the cool thing now, though, is that uh, we got um, several scholars, first of all, who are younger and who are kind of more doing more intersectional work, mm-hmm. uh, do some of that in, in my book, but there's a lot more that they do now. And they're writing about stuff that was more recent, because my book covers the 19th, late, basically the Silver Age. Um, the book is called Death, Disability, and the Superhero, The Silver Age and Beyond, and it covers the late 50s up until about 1993. It mm-hmm. ends with the death of Superman storyline. Um, but then, you know, there's a lot more stuff in that, including things like The Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and Aja and, uh, and a lot more stuff that's been going on. And they take a much more intersectional approach. They talk a lot more mm-hmm. about race. Mm-hmm. They talk a lot more about other kind of identities mm-hmm. um, that are also part of the mix here and, and in very productive ways. We're really happy with this collection. Yeah, no, I'm really I, I I'm excited by it. It just came out in 2019. Yep. Um, I know that there as well. There's a kind of articulation of the concept of a con- a continuum of abilities, right? Instead yeah. of a kind of this or that or either or. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I'm excited. I think the you've kind of opened. I know I've used your death, disability, and superheroes um, in my classrooms, yeah. and um, uncanny <laughs> bodies will definitely make its way in. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you also you're you know you're you mentioned already you have interests that are you know wide and very varied, um, including of course your own creative work. You tell me a little bit about your. Your new, uh, your own comic that you're working on that you finished actually that's in production with um, a model press out of SDSU. Um, yeah, tell maybe tell the listeners a little bit about the inspiration for that, the mm. difficulties, maybe the, um, you know, what it means to actually to be a creator of story through visual and verbal means. Wow. Well, first of all, let, let me say um, that I think you, you, uh, your work has actually been uh, really important because you've really broken it open, especially in the last few years, right? With this Latino graphics imprint, you've been able to kind of, you know, bring the work of a lot of artists, including mine, uh, to, uh, to, to greater, um, to, to larger audiences. Um, so just kind of the way that, you know, you just kind of pick it up and just do it. I mean, right? I mean, you're, you're, uh, you and you yourself have so many kind of different facets of your career, right? You're doing thing, podcasts, and you're obviously you're kind of a media personality. You're you know um, uh, professor Latinx and all of that good stuff. Uh, you're you're and and then you're a fabulous teacher and you're a scholar. So there's just you know you well, you've got a lot. You. <laughs> you're all over the place. So I think yeah, I think it's it's you've kind of showed us the way. I think in in many ways. So. Um, by breaking all of that open. Um, I've been making comics almost as long as I've been reading comics. Um, that's one of my earliest memories of kind of making them as a kid. Um, and I still have them, actually. Uh, I made comics about Super Grover, I remember. I made a sequel to Moby Dick. Uh, I made all, 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 all sorts of stuff. And um, in uh, high school, I, I was the editor of my high school paper. I had a comic strip. In college, I had a comic strip. I'm very happy. This, this, this is a, you know, um, kind of pathetic, I think. But, but I'm 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 very privileged to have actually shared a comics page uh, in the '80s at the at University of Texas at the um, the Daily Texan, the college paper there. It was kind of a golden age in the '80s for for strips, and uh, I actually shared the page at one point with Chris Ware. All people, obviously, Chris Ware was just doing astronomical work, unbelievable stuff, and my little strips were there, kind of there on the same page. So I've been doing comics actually for a long time. Um, in Moscow, when I was working at the Moscow Tribune, uh, which was an English language paper, there um, they let me do a strip. I did a um, 
a strip um, for nine months, um, which was about kind of a uh, a Mexican American kid in Moscow bouncing around and uh, lamenting that there's no Mexican food, uh, little things like that, and uh, a lot of it based on just my own experiences. That's called Moscow Calling. That's as far as I know the first English language newspaper strip in in Russia. Yeah. Um, that's my claim to fame. Um, but then I also, you know, uh, at a certain point, I started getting back into it. Living in Seattle, my life kind of settled down to where I could start thinking about other things besides, um, you know, the academic career. So um, I started doing some work um, there. There's a, a monthly meetup called Dune that's been going on now for over five years where Seattle cartoonists will show up and they just kind of uh, work together to produce kind of a collection just kind of on the spot. And uh, and it's 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 a, been wonderful just for supercharging, uh, you know, just my work. There, there's just been a lot of opportunities. So I, I've had some stuff published in some small collections here and there, and then and then in Tales from La Vida, which mm-hmm. which you put out. Um, and then I've been doing a lot of autobiographical work, so a lot of it about growing up in the valley. And so that's kind of how all that stuff has come together. I'm very happy that, uh, that a model mm-hmm. uh, comics is interested in it. Um, and so uh, that collection is primarily it's called the phantom zone and other stories and that collection is primarily the strip that i did at ut which is kind of like a latinx uh slacker kind of thing it's a very austin strip again based on my experiences of of being there and then i've done some kind of follow-ups to that strip in comics form and then i made a brand new story in 2018 which is kind of the um the culmination of that story um and then a bunch of other just stuff that i've done that are related to uh to uh, to Mexican American identity, um, I have an EC parody called Jodido, which is about the border, um, and so kind of does some some black humor, kind of horror type stuff about about you know cruzando la frontera. Um, let me also say, Frederick, that 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 one thing that I've actually been kind of working on more recently is uh, basically a kind of comics journalism project about the border crisis. Since I grew up in in um, in the valley and in you know McAllen has has become the epicenter of this thing. I mean, one of the sad things about reading coverage mm. uh, about the valley is that um, if you didn't know any better, if you mm. weren't from there, you'd think McAllen was some kind of mm-hmm. hellhole mm-hmm. where people go to be locked up in cages. And mm-hmm. sadly, that that's been happening. But there's so much more to the valley. Mm-hmm. I'm particularly interested in the the environmental impact um, and the cultural impact of the wall. So I've done um, some work already down there, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of putting it together. Hope to have it finished by the end of the year. Mm. Yeah, we need that. We need that work. Um, the sort of the narrative, the real narratives, the counter not not so much counter narratives as the narratives, right? The stories. Yeah, I um, mean, even though I don't yeah. live there anymore, I still go at least yeah. twice a year, and um, and I think the perspective of somebody who grew up there. I grew up there. You know, we'd go to Reynosa, Tamaulipas, um, every Sunday. We'd go to get mm-hmm. our haircuts. Mm-hmm. We'd go have cabrito. We'd go do all the, all that stuff. And you could just walk back and forth. And it was such a, it was a truly binational kind of culture. It still is that, but it's just become so much more militarized. It's become so much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've crossed over a few times just lately and just the lines are really long. They're really unpleasant mm-hmm. to people. And you know, there's 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 barbed wire every it, it's really saddening and disheartening um, to to see all of that and mm-hmm. you know you you spent time there mm-hmm. I remember um, I'm going to Arizona later this year and I, I was in Nogales back in the 90s and I remember 
Um, to go to Mexico, of course, they don't have the river there, so you basically just kind of do a turnstile. You cross a turnstile, and then now you're in, you're in Nogales, Mexico, instead of Nogales, Arizona. Um, I haven't been there. I'm, I'm going there soon, but I, I, everything I read is that that whole thing has become completely like some kind of war zone. And that's just, um, that is so messed up. Mm-hmm. That's so messed up. Well, I don't want to end on a, a sort of down note, but it's a realistic note and an important note. I'm so glad that you're doing all this work, Jose. Well, like I said, you're a big uh, inspiration and a big part of it. So, yeah, this was uh, extraordinary. I had the honor here of having uh, Professor Jose Alaniz, a creator of comics, a journalist um, of the Borderlands, um, mm. really opening spaces for us um, in the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures and Comparative Literature at um, University of Washington. Also executive uh, chair, chair of the executive committee for the International Comics Arts uh, Forum. Right? Former, I, uh, former uh, up okay. until 2017. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much, Jose, for spending time on Professor Latinx. Muchísimas gracias. Gracias.